Welcome to the uh, second uh, Academic Freedom Conference, which Stephen Francis and I organized. It was Stephen's idea to have uh, an academic conference originally, which was held on the campus of the University of Illinois on 26 April 2014. Whereas you can see from the slide, we focused on issues that might be regarded as uh, forbidden for academic research. JFK 9-11 and the Holocaust. There would be consequences of that, for example, as the next slide shows. I soon discovered that my Wikipedia entry, which had been really extremely substantial, had been gutted by removing description of all of my research on JFK 9-11, Wellstone, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, anti-Semitism in the Holocaust. It was just gutted. But fortunately, I had a copy, a recent copy, and was able to publish to show exactly what happened here, which is an important lesson in appreciating that Wikipedia has a political bent. And while it may be perfectly reliable for elementary or uncontroversial subjects, that when it gets into anything politically latent, they have a spin, which we must all appreciate. This is in anticipation of introducing Stephen Francis, who earned his degree in sociology on the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana campus, and who promotes the exercise of critical thinking and unconventional thought where Stephen has some uh, reflections on an unusual approach to uh, researching recent events. It's a pleasure to introduce Stephen Francis. Uh, thanks, Jim, for that uh, introduction. Um, we are going to, in my talk today, get back to, as you mentioned, Wikipedia and how they um, change information and put, like you say, their spin on that, on, on, on the whole, uh, their publication. Um, okay, my my talk today is going to be. Uh, it's the title of the talk is "Are There Limits to Inquiry? Are Political Correctness, Cultural Marxism, Jewish Political Influence, Are Those Out of Bounds in the Academic Community?" But first, what I'd like to do is explain a little bit about my own personal history, which I think um, inspired this, inspired me to be researching uh, current events, history. I wanted to just find out more, uh, prepare myself to make good decisions in my life by um, studying what's, what's uh, history, okay? So, I have to go back to, I have to go back to actually 1969. I'm 65 years old now, and I, and I was 19 years old in 1969 when the Vietnam War was at, at its height. And to make a long story short, I was almost cannon fodder for that war. I was a uh, in uniform um, soldier. Uh, that had orders for Vietnam, and I became, through a series of events, I became a very active anti-war 
demonstrator in uniform uh, in the army and found myself arrested because of those activities and put in jail. And this is the stockade at Fort Ord, California that I spent a few months in that I eventually um, was let out and uh, for a number of reasons fled to Canada and um, we were and in a way we were helped and only able to survive in Canada because of uh, Russian refugees who were also victims of chaos and um, world turmoil. That very year, there were 30,000 Americans or uh, soldiers that were AWOL. It was an extraordinary time. It created the all-voluntary army. Okay, what I want to just point out here is that I, I am directly connected to the whole idea of chaos and uh, in the world and was affected by it my whole life. But now to get into the, into the, to the um, meat of the, of my talk. I want to uh, talk about internet research methodology. And uh, as, as a, I, I started a blog a number of years ago, and it has a, uh, a reasonable amount of attention now. It's ranked in the top 99.5% of uh, uh, websites in the world. Um, and my adventure in creating that site um, led to my needing a set of rules and how to search on the internet. Um, and this page is about those rules. And uh, if I go to this section right here with this uh, in red, the first thing I, I realized that I had to do is that I had to completely understand my own belief set. I had to be open to change and I had to thoroughly know Google or any search engine, the tactics, the technical uh, aspects of, of searching. I needed to become familiar with the scientific method. I needed a lot of sources uh, from, from people I agreed with and also people that I disagreed with. But the big thing was that in my discovery, in creating uh, discoveries and creating this w website, I thoroughly ran into 9-11, and the events that happened on September uh, September 11th, 2001, and the um, impact that it had on me brought back all of the emotion, all of the vigor that landed me in jail in 1969. All that got um, uh, brought back up to the surface, and I started that um, started the uh, my website in 2002, and. I think the biggest, the biggest impact of that is that all the research I do now goes through a 9-11 truth filter. Because, because of my research, I am absolutely suspect of anything that uh, Isra Israeli Zionists do in terms of war, world events. And, okay, uh, moving down to my next section. I am also uh, a, a graduate. I was in, uh, of a university of... Uh, University of Illinois, so I'm somewhat familiar with that atmosphere, but in my um, research and my associations with people, especially in this conference, I found out the all the topics that are uh, that can 
where uh, academic people can lose their position, lose their jobs, completely uh, wipe out their careers if they tackle things like JFK assassination, 9-11 truth, Sandy Hook, even the Holocaust, Holocaust revision, you immediately lose your career. Uh, I've discovered that there's a tremendous amount of, of corporate influence and donor uh, influence in academia, academia. And in the process, uh, I've discovered um, the subjects of political correctness and cultural Marxism. And actually, there's an interesting story about that uh, that I will go to later um, that involves a couple of the other speakers. Uh, I'll get into that later. But anyway, uh, I learned that I, uh, I should have a wide range of sources um, and I should study the political alignment of those sources, the background, the compensation, follow the money, um, what are the motivations of the people that I study and apply those to my all my rules is how to search, okay? And I have to realize that I have my own biases. I have preconceived misconceptions uh, um, and alliances that I've made and will I compromise my own beliefs and what, uh, what I write according to my, my alliances. I, have, I don't have any uh, position to lose at a university, so I'm, I'm free in that sense. But, but uh, a constant thing I do is self-analysis and um, look at the effects of propaganda on me, and which they're there. Everybody, everybody has those, okay? And discovering cultural Marxism, multiculturalism, and po political correctness was actually a, a it, there was a epiphany moment in, in doing that. I thought that I had, you know, uncovered most of the, what I call, what we all call cons, uh, conspiracy theories on the internet. And this one uh, is, you know, I've discovered that it's one that I need to study a lot more. And we're actually, we're actually in it. So I'm in a real time mode in this, this conference. I'm still working out uh, some of my thoughts on this, on this. Okay, a brief definition of political correctness. And this is where we get into Wikipedia. Okay. Um, political correctness, and, and I'll explain this, uh, uh, is, is a term that is loosely um, uh, used by a lot of people who I, I do not think have a grasp of its vast historical um, uh, connections. <clears throat> Um, in, in average literature, you know, you think political correctness has to do with the N-word and the R-word, maybe even the F-bomb or the H-word, and, and possibly, you know, you can, all would have little different uh, interpretations of what all those words mean or acronyms mean, but um, political correctness has a long history that in this talk I would like to to point out some of the historical references to it. And an important point at the bottom, and I'm just gonna read it, political correctness uses as a semantic instrument to suppress critical thinking um, very much as the phrase, phrase conspiracy, conspiracy theory is deployed to curtail investigations of JFK, 9-11, Sandy Hook, and more. That is a very, uh, uh, important 
uh, point that we want to make. Okay. Now on to cultural Marxism. Uh, I'm going to give a brief definition because this, this, my talk is not about cultural Marxism itself. It's about my, um, my uh, research methods. I'm using cultural Marxism as just a, uh, for the sake of converse or sake of illustration. But anyway, cultural Marxism, and I'm going to call it CM, uh, if, if, it, if that, uh, to be more convenient. Okay, Poli com the communist political revolution failed in Russia and, and Soviet Union throughout the 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way up into the 90s. And there had to be uh, uh, the, Frank the Frankfurt School in Germany actually was the home of, of the, um, the devised counter um, uh, to, to well, what I call as a plan B. Since the, the Russian Revolution failed, there had to be a plan B to continue that, to con to continue that effort. And the, and the Institute of Social Research, of which the Frankfurt School was a part of, was the home of that. And they also developed critical theory, which is the basis of undermining and destroying American culture. Okay, which is, uh, which is uh, the uh, most important point in this, uh, in this section, okay. Um, when we look at the dis this destruction of the American culture as part of uh, cultural Marxism, what they were trying to, what they are trying to do at this moment in all sorts of streams throughout American society is soften it, break it down, and um, through multi multiple forms of attacks from all sorts of directions in order to continue the communist political revolution uh, that failed in Russia, but continue that revolution in a cultural sense and not in a political or um, uh, physical uh, sense. It's a cultural revolution that's going on underneath the radar in America and it, and it exhibits its um, manifestations in all sorts of places that people don't believe, that people don't identify with, and political correctness and multiculturalism are absolutely a part of that Marxist uh, uh, revolution that started back in the 20s. The Frankfurt School was started back in the 20s. This is a long historical effort where, where um, political correctness is just one of the pieces that we see uh, in modern America, and especially even in the um, in, in the in the uh, election. Okay. Um, one of the things. Okay, to go to the next section. Because of my 9/11 research and looking at cultural Marxism, the very first thing I did was the very first thing I asked was. What is, is there a Zionist, is there an Israeli connection to the uh, cultural Marxist, Marxism in that uh, there is a wide speculation and wide research on the internet, was the communist revolution in itself a uh, Zionist operation? Was an, uh, and lo and behold, I was not disappointed. The, um, the uh, Frankfurt School, uh, 
most of the most of the uh, principles of that organization are Jewish. They're Zionist. Um, we'll, I'll touch on that later on the thing. Any okay? Now that I'm into the Zionist, you know, this Zionist accusation, accusation, um, I, I will, uh, this, um, you know, immediately puts you in the world of being anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Jewish, uh, and you have to uh, analyze that as you get it. Uh, to me, you know, the, the Jews are. Are victims in one point, and but they also have vast, vast power out throughout the world. There's there's a, a tremendous inconsistency there that needs. Whenever you study anything like cultural Marxism and you see the the uh, Jewish factor in that, you need to mit, in, analyze why um, Zionists are victims and uh, have this superiority complex all at the same time. It's it's a huge subject that I can't address here. So anyway, back to Wikipedia. Everything that Jim mentioned at the very in, in my introduction is absolutely ac ap applicable to um, um, Wikipedia's entry uh, on cultural Marxism. And the very, very first, the very first page, which has been archived and deleted, um, this is this is a copy of that first page, and you will not see, um, you will not. There's no mention of, of 1920s Nazi Germany. There's no Jewish connection. There's no mention of being a conspiracy theory. Um, it and it has it. It has its own page. It's called Marxal, uh, Cultural Marxism. Okay, and as you can see at the at the bottom. Wikipedia employs techniques of disinformation, propaganda. You, you can use Wikipedia as a source to understand propaganda techniques. Not only is information, but how do they, how do they distort information and the actual study of how Wikipedia distorts in information is actually huge clues on what is true and what isn't true. Uh, and, uh, you know, according to the position of the researcher. Uh, it's a wonderful source of information and propaganda techniques to learn about the world. Okay. Now, uh, back here was the, this is the original page. This is the new page. They redirected it to the Frankfurt School. Cultural Marxism disappears as a topic and becomes um, uh, is buried at the bottom of the page, which is basically down here, and they do their and do their typical their typical um, uh, uh, things to it. They try down here uh, at at the at the uh, bottom. You notice uh, they try to uh, associate with the LaRouche movement, which is uh, they consider anti-Semitic. They try to uh, associate with uh, the the um, Swedish massacre from uh, Anders Breivik, of which I studied a lot, and that in itself is a huge um, conspiracy theory. I hate that word, conspiracy theory, but but it, sometimes you just have to use it. But the ultimate the ultimate aim of this Wikipedia page is to denigrate um, the conspiracy that uh, that what they call is a conspiracy 
uh, of cultural Marxism and they, they try to attach it to Hitler. Um, to me, this is, as a researcher, this is, this is um, vindication or uh, this is support for the idea that cultural Marxism is a conspiracy. Con when Wikipedia considers it a conspiracy, they are putting it in the same category as 9-11 Truth, Sandy Hook, Boston bombing, uh, the Swedish, all, you know, you can go all the way back to the King David, uh, King David Hotel, the Levon, every conspiracy theory that you can think of that uh, we can now add cultural Marxism to that. When you, okay, next slide. When you see this, this is something that uh, also requires research and is it is a um, great source of uh, the, to get the scope of uh, cultural Marxism, and that if you that is almost always attached to the idea of cor cor uh, political correctness and cultural and multiculturalism, and um, these uh, by studying all three, you'll get a, a better view of multiculturalism itself. Okay, and here here is a definition. I'm see if I have time to read it. I think I do. I'm going to put this into the record, into the audio. Okay, and I'm just going to read this. this is the actual author of this, uh, I, I could not, I, I wish that I could uh, give him credit, but I, or him or her credit, but I don't know who it is, but it's good. I'm just going to read it. Cultural Marxism is an offshoot of Marxism that gave birth to political correctness, multiculturalism, and anti-racism. Unlike traditional Marxism that focuses on economics, CM focuses on culture and maintains that all human behavior is a result of culture, not heredity and race, and thus malleable. CM absurdly deny the biological reality of gender, race, and argue that gender and race are social constructs, nonetheless. Okay, I've read enough. To me, this is so far beyond the the average persons in America, the, the common citizen of America would read this and go to sleep in a second, not understand what's saying. And I, and this is an actual point in itself. Is that Stephen, I think you're actually onto something here. I think this is a good quote. I think you might as well read the rest of it. Okay. Um, nonetheless. Nonetheless, cultural Marxists support the race-based identity politics of non-whites. Cultural Marxists typically support race-based affirmative action. The, the proposition state, as opposed to a nation rooted in common ancestry, elevating non-Western religions above Western religions, speech codes and censorship, multiculturalism, diversity training, anti-Western education curricula, maladaptive sexual norms, and anti-male uh, anti feminism, the disposition of white people, and mass third world immigration into Western countries. Cultural Marxists have promoted ide the idea that white people, instead of birthing baby, birthing white babies should interracially marry and, or adopt non-white children. 
Samuel P. Huntington maintained that cultural Marxism is an anti-white ideology. Critics of CM have maintained that it intends to commit genocide against white people through mass non-white immigration, assimilization, assimilation, transracial adoption, and misogynation. Okay, there it is. It's in the record. I'm going to go back to um, an important point that is a, a constantly a thread throughout this. Does it matter that the founders of cultural Marxism are Jewish? And what I want to do to at least list these, you can go on the net, internet and research these and you'll find the proponents are uh, Zionist, secular, um, uh, Jewish uh, people. Other hints um, that they're Jewish that are important in, in any research is they were, they were kicked out of Nazi Germany in the 1920s because of, of uh, they're Jewish. And I think it's, I, and, I, and I'm gonna take this opportunity to make this point uh, as far as European history and the way it's portrayed in America, we never ever find out that um, the fear that Nazi Ger the people of Nazi Germany had of Jewish communism, okay? And um, when I make this statement, the Institute of Social Research was expelled from Nazi Germany. That's in the context of the huge, of the uh, uh, fear of the German people of co Jewish communism, okay? Um, and as I say here, Hitler was extremely fearful of communists, destroying the Christian fabric of Germany. You absolutely never hear that in any sort of American textbook at, at, at least the lower grades. Um, the basis of cultural Marxism is Marxism and communists that, that I believe and the receipt will show is our Jewish constructs. Okay. And again, here I listed a bunch of of, um, of terms that people may hear occasionally or quite often actually. And if you, if you don't understand, or if you don't understand these um, in your research, one of the best ways to, um, you find a basis for the for the research, a basis for your beliefs in these ideas, is to apply them to the idea that neo-Marxism is a tearing down of the fabric of Western capitalism, in uh, to soften it and and continue the communist Jewish-led revolution that started in in the beginning of the 20th century. I'm not going to go. You could write a book about each one of these. Uh, uh, I, I'm just going to put them into the record here. Okay, and here's another chart that if you start looking closely at, at all these uh, uh, buttons on or these uh, on the chart, you will see that they they absolutely apply to every aspect of any person's life in society. It goes from religion, family, nation, property, uh, you name it. Cultural Marxism is is pervasive 
pervasive throughout our societies. Once you get this, if you embrace this theory, um, if you embrace uh, this theory, uh, you will, you will, it'll, in a way, sort of change your life. You will look at things in a new way and put them through the filter of this, and it will have, I think, a significant impact if you study it thoroughly. Okay. Okay, different point, but, but connected, okay? If you are considering the complexity of our, of our world, um, there is actually, and it's the, it's the, it's, it's a theory that I'm, I'm going to, you know, put forth here is that not only is there a, the chaos of war, the distractions of TV and sports, but there is an actual um, form of chaos and, and it's creating phenomena and institutions that are so absolute complex that the average person cannot understand them. And, and we all experience this, experience this in, the, um, in 2008 with this housing meltdown. We heard about collateralized debt applications. And, and, uh, and, and even in 9-11 itself, there were investigations of puts and calls and index options trading on the airplanes that, well, into the destruction of the, uh, of the Twin Towers in 9-11. Every, everywhere you go in, in, in our society, you have to not only look at the impact of war that I saw in 1969, but you also have to look at the, of the chaos of information. And I'm proposing that cultural Marxism is a part of that information chaos war. It is so complex, it is so deeply buried into the fabric of America that people don't even see it. Okay. And I'm gonna, uh, this, this is actually part of this information chaos thing. And I think what I wanna do is go ahead and one slide and then come back to this. One of my true fans in all my research is, is a, uh, the late, great. You mean, you mean idol, Stephen. Idol, idol, thank you. Uh, Professor Anthony Sutton, he, uh, he died in, in the 80s, but uh, he rose, uh, um, was a, on the faculty at Stanford University and also the Hoover Institute, which uh, is, uh, anyway, uh, Hoover Institute is a very important uh, neocon, actually, Zionist neocon institute. He was part of it, was basically kicked out for a lot of the same reasons that Professor Salaita, um, all, uh, all the um, uh, academic cases that we see. His is very similar, but it happened in the uh, 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And he wrote a series of books that, I, um, st that I've read and studied, of, of which uh, they're listed here. But one of the th points that he, that he made uh, and that others made um, was that um, is the idea of the Capitalism and communism are are essentially the same things when you look at the the top down control of it. But anyway, I'm I'm getting I'm getting a little off topic here. The point the point I want to make here is that um, 
I'm reinforcing the idea of the Jewish um, communist revolution. And if you read his books, that idea is, is pervasive throughout let, those. Stephen, let me interject. Uh, you're claiming, or he is, Sutton, there's no fundamental difference between communism and capitalism. Let me suggest two points on which that does not appear to be correct. Okay. In, in, in capitalism, you have private ownership of property, and you have interest on interest, compound interest, making money off of money. In, in communism, you have no private ownership, and you're not allowed to make interest on interest or compound interest. Those seem to me to be two fundamental differences that are being overlooked or underplayed here. Yes, I'm, I'm looking at this in, in such a, gener a general view that um, it, it could be construed. Uh, get down into the details like what you're talking about, and uh, there are vast, vast differences in it. And I also think that the, you know, gross inequities and wealth distribution, such as this slide that suggests 1% rich and 99% poor, is the very antithesis of the communist ideal of a kind of equality, uh, e e e equal, equal distribution of wealth and resources. While it hasn't played out that way, from a Marxist point of view, due to the failure of the disappearance of the you know, the dominating influence necessary in the stages that would take place after the communist revolution. Uh, in ideology or in principle, it seems to me that's very important and that it's been, in fact, a very fundamental aspect of uh, liberalism and progressivism here in the United States. Okay. I'm, I'm not... Uh, the way that I... The way that I would respond to that would be that at the end of this talk, uh, I'm going to make the statement that um, that you should divorce your divorce yourself from the idea that there was an east-west uh, east-west conflict. All the the Red Scare. The the uh, uh, I think you should be divorced from that concept and uh, reduce the uh, analysis of historical events in the, in the context of just Jews and non-Jews, okay? And I, I realize that I'm getting way, way too general here. Stephen, and I Stephen, Stephen, don't go, don't go there yet. Wait till you get to your conclusion. Okay. Uh, the point I'm making from the classical Marxist theory you had these growing inequities where fewer and fewer were becoming richer and richer, the vast majority weaker and weaker, uh, poorer and poorer until you reached a point of a, a violent revolution, which led to what was called the dictatorship of the proletariat as a transition phase with centralized control, which would eventually lead to great equality, equal ownership, and so forth. In the Soviet Union, we never seemed to get past the dictatorship of the proletariat. But the point I'm making is that uh, what Marx didn't anticipate was the emergence of uh, reform. You could have reforms, uh, political reforms. You could have labor unions. You could engage in collective punishment. And that you could have, you know, developments like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, unemployment insurance, workmen's compensation. He didn't anticipate any of that, but it is striking 
how much contemporary conservatives oppose all of that, want to have the privatization of Social Security, Medicare, uh, a host of these other very important developments that have actually benefited the working people. I think never in the history of the United States has there been a more important and beneficial program than Social Security, which I can attest is making a difference in my life today. After my retirement in 2006, I became eligible for Social Security when I retired in June of 2006 at the age of 65 and a half. And it's made a tremendous difference in, in my and my wife life ever since. So I think we don't want to be too quick to identify capitalism and communism. Uh, I do believe that Bernie Sanders represents with an idea of a single-payer health care program, one that could well be described as socialistic, but so too can Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and so forth which means that we actually lived in a mixed society with some capitalistic, some socialistic programs, and where, frankly, the socialistic programs seem to be the ones that have made the greatest benefit and contribution to the quality of the life of American citizens. Okay. Um, we're, we're way beyond. We can just sort of... Just get... proceed, Stephen. Just go forward. Okay. Okay. But can I, can I just ask you one question, though? Sure. Um, what I'm trying to get at here is, and I haven't researched it enough, maybe, but what was the effect of Jewish control of the original Bolshevik on through, on through into the Cold War era? What was the effect of Stephen, Stephen, just complete your presentation. You're talking about a vast issue that goes beyond the scope. Just continue your talk. Absolutely. Okay, okay. The next... The next, um, the next section is on uh, uh, cultural Marxism and, and the academic community. Okay, and the very first thing in my research is to follow the money, look at the money issue. $26 billion have, uh, uh, is, is, is just one example of the war chest that, um, that the Jewish Zionist forces in America apply to not not necessarily Akin, but it's the war chest that they draw from for their efforts to control and manipulate academia. That's twenty six billion dollars, and this the source of this is Forward Magazine, which is a Jewish publication. Okay, and if you and if you. Uh, 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 delve more into this article, <clears throat> um, you will find the detail of which they uh, actually looked at the Jewish control and influence in America. But to, to go to the bottom of the slide, uh, I'll, I'll read these. Academia is a poor source of research into cultural Marxism because of that influence of that 20 of the whatever share of that 26 billion dollars goes to academia the pursuit of cm can rapidly end an academic career because of those influences universities are heavily into heavily funded by jewish donors and the ramifications of cm lead to its academic suppression okay and this is uh, um, what i'm saying is these, these are this is a 
comment on my side, you should take this and apply your own uh, research rules to doing that. Okay, and here's another source of uh, funding for uh, in academia. Uh, George Soros, you can follow this through Hillary Clinton into the Democratic Party very easily. Um, 19 of the 53 individuals and couples named to, uh, to, to this list, including five of the top six. Okay, I'm, I've lost it there. <laughs> uh, anyway, At least 19 of the 53 individuals and couples named on the list are Jewish, including five of the list's top six. George Soros ranked number one with 332 million donated in 2010. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg second at 279.2 million. Irwin and Joan Jacobs, Eli and Edith Broad, and Leonard Blavitnik took spots four through six respectively with 170 million to 119 million in donations. Okay, thank you. Um, again, I just uh, repeated, uh, at the bottom. Uh, I already mentioned the points made at the bottom. I need to move on. Okay. And some more, and really more uh, evidence of the, of the uh, vast financial contributions of the Jewish community into institutions and government. Uh, Forbes, 139 of the top 400 billionaires are Jewish, on and on here. You can read this. Um, Jews are the or Jewish people are the Jewish Zionists are the biggest contributors to election campaigns. Um, goes on and on. Um, don't don't rush, Stephen. You can take your time. Okay. You okay. can go back and reiterate each of those points if you like. Okay. Um, you can go back. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Twenty-five percent. Number two there. 25% of graduates of Ivy League University are Jewish. And um, considering that only 2% of the, of the uh, US population is Jewish, that is a, uh, over, uh, a significant overweighting of, of Ivy League schools. And if you dig deeper in, they're MBAs and they go straight to Wall Street. If you read yeah, but Stephen, you know, just a remark on this. I mean, research, and I've done research in this area, shows that uh, Jews generally have the uh, among the highest IQs in the population in general, and they tend to be academically oriented and rather disciplined. So I think actually, even though they may be a relatively small percent of the overall population, that there may be multiple reasons why as many as a quarter of the graduates of Ivy League universities happen to be Jewish. And that, of course, would also extend to the fact that they're making donations to these institutions, oh, yeah. thereby gaining a certain amount of political influence, and is in, including in terms of who is and who is not admitted to these institutions. Right. And there's a, and further reading on this, there's a whole issue of merit in that that 25% is not, like you say, is not based on merit. It's based on connections and uh, cultural background. Well, but a lot of it is based on merit, Stephen. I think we well, don't have to argue. Points well, seem to me to be well-established uh, to the contrary here. I don't think that figure in and of itself is, uh, is inappropriate, given everything, uh, the considerations I've been elaborating. But you have many other important points. Move, move forward, Stephen. Okay. 
Now, the, I'm switching streams here and a little bit going to that cultural Marxism is, is, is a very hidden phenomena. It's, it's pervasive in the, in the culture, but it is not part of the conversation of the culture. And, one of the, and so I wanted to find that out. I went to what, what are called anti-conspiracy sites, Snopes, Politico, PolitiFact, Metabunk, Cracked, all these are Wikipedia-like sites, okay? Did they mention cultural Marxism? Absolutely not. And there's some other research I did on this uh, as far as going to Wall Street Journal, uh, the major, uh, major uh, publications in America. You will not find the mention of cultural Marxism, and I think that is actually by design. Uh, and... Um, but that's something to be researched, okay. But now I'm switching to Trump, um, where it is absolutely part of the, this election campaign, the talk of political correctness. When, um, when, you, when he mentions that and people try to absorb what he's saying, my first thought is to, is back what I said before, is they do not realize the, historical connections of that of that Stephen, 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 someone can be a participant in cultural marxism without knowing that they are a participant in cultural marxism it is after all relatively obscure notion but it's clearly the case that those who are attacking trump are attacking him on the grounds of political correctness uh, cultural diversity promoting immigration and a host of other issues so i think you're actually providing a very useful, broad conceptual framework for understanding what's going on even in the contemporary context of the 2016 campaign. Yeah, and I, okay, I think this is a good point to actually, and, and we could cut this out if you want to, or not you, but we could you cut Just do your thing, my oh, friend. Okay. Um, it was not too long ago that I read an article from two people that I respect a lot, um, that I, uh, that, that I respect a lot. And the article had to do with uh, white genocide and, um, uh, and white nationalism, okay. And my immediate thought about those people was they are friends of mine, and look at this. They're, they're, it looks like they're neo-Nazis. They are, why am I friends with these people? And then, then I completely flipped, flipped around and I asked myself, well, why did I have that thought? Okay. And because I respect these, these two people so much, how could I just flip over? So I said, I'm going to apply my research principles and I'm going to look at white genocide and um, white, um, oh God, what did I say? White. <laughs> white. Uh, white supremacist movements, political genocide, and so forth. But Stephen, you lay it out in what you have to say. So I say, just go forward. You're saying you had a gestalt shift when you realize that the framework of cultural Marxism applied to even this campaign and why there are so many tensions involving political correctness and the like, which you're helping us to understand. Right. I'm, I'm saying that I am actually a victim of CM myself. Well, and of course. Well, of course. But you've had the ability to rise above and perceive what's going on as the rest of your presentation explains. Go for okay. it. Okay. 
So now, uh, uh, cultural Marxism and the long march of false flag attacks. And uh, I'm just going to display this graphic that I think um, uh, explains quickly the point that cultural Marxism not only could be included in a list of, of studying the uh, Jewish expulsions, the Jewish communist revolution, the, the thought um, that all, bank, all wars are bankers' wars. You can look at uh, the Kennedy assassination, 9-11, the U.S.'s liberty. Cultural Marxism uh, can duly be added to this list. And, and in fact, it could be a, a basis where all these other um, so-called, cons- uh, all these other events could be subsumed under the title of cultural Marxism. Okay. And that's where I make this statement. If the communist Bolshevik revolution was a Jewish-led and cultural, and cultural Marxism is Jewish-led, then is it possible that the real issue is not a fundamental battle between communism and capitalism, but a battle between Jews and non-Jews? And I qualify that in saying that, sure, the battle between communism and capitalism is over and gone, but the... Uh, but the ramifications of that as cultural Marxism um, are still with us. Um, and if you look at the Jewish content of cultural, or, uh, of, of uh, cultural Marxism, you will see that the real thing is a battle between the Jews and non-Jews. Okay. I cannot imagine a subject that is uh, more taboo in the, the academy than this, Stephen. Yes. So you have really waded into the, you know, the thicket. You've, you've dove into the deep end of the pool, my friend. <laughs> so uh, please continue. Okay. Okay. The, and I'm going, going back to just really more evidence here. Are the two, 2016 immigration crises evidence of cultural Marxism? Okay. And you will see... Um, all sorts of uh, graphics, explanations of this point. Um, what uh, was, could mass immigration be a planned crisis? I think everything I presented up to this point in this, in this talk say, yes, it could be. Yeah. It, but could I put it a bit the other way around. <coughs> oh, okay. 9-11 was designed to engage the United States in taking out the modern Arab countries that served as a counterbalance to Israel's domination of the Middle East. It has, as a consequence, created chaos. Wesley Clark, after all, identified the plan to take out seven governments in the next five years, beginning with Iraq and Libya, ending with Syria and Iran. And while it hasn't played out that way, it hasn't been for lack of trying. The Middle East has been reduced to chaos, and you have a vast refugee problem, which it would appear is being exploited using immigration as a cultural weapon or even as a weapon of war by sending vast streams of refugees into Europe Uh, with uh, sometimes horrific results, including, for example, that Sweden has become the rape capital of the world. Uh, And where I think your suggestion that there are lots of political machinations behind this 
are 100% well-founded. I think we have to look at this in a slightly broader perspective about the background for setting up 9-11 to, to in, induce the United States to come to the aid of Israel, where even Hillary's more recent emails, for example, have, have explained that we're in Syria, not because Assad is abusing his people, but to benefit Israel. It's, it's right there explicitly stated in the emails she's done uh, so much to try to destroy and make inaccessible to the public. Yes, I think this present election cycle exposes the immense uh, corruption in our government as seen in the crisis in the Middle East and the immigration into Europe, the, the uh, uh, problem of immigration on our border, our southern borders. So it's, it's uh, pervasive. Uh, as you can see, pervasive. And if you if you start to do, if you look at who promotes cultural Marxism and who is a victim of cultural Marxism, you will you will divide up in the world divide the world up into the same segments that you do with uh, the victims of 9/11, the uh, the world the war on terror. Um, there is a clear, clear um, uh, connection between the leaders of the world and, uh, and the promotion of cultural Marxism. Okay, and that is reflected back on, on my premise that cultural Marxism is, is a, um, an incredibly important uh, phenomenon in looking at a wide range of uh, false flag events, false wars, and uh, dastardly deeds throughout uh, the last couple of centuries more. Um, and that's where I get to a new 9-11 uh, truth, cultural Marxism hypothesis, okay? Could the perpetrators of, JF, of the JFK assassination, 9-11, Sandy Hook, the Boston Marathon bombing, and other false flag events be practitioners of Marxism, cultural Marxism. Could they be using the knowledge gained from cultural Marxism to guide their decisions about the execution of these false flag events? Could that be the reason why scholars who conduct research in these false flag events are punished by their institutions for the pursuit of truth? Thank you very much. Well, Stephen, I think you've done a very nice job of providing an intellectual framework for approaching many of these issues. I suspect that, uh, based upon my research into JFK, for example, that, that most of participants, of course, have no knowledge or awareness of cultural Marxism whatsoever. Uh, Lyndon Johnson appears to have been the principal, the pivotal player in the death of JFK, so he could accede to the presidency, he forced his way onto the ticket in Los Angeles in 1960 by threatening to reveal that JFK had had dalliances with beautiful women, some of whom were spies for other countries such as East Germany, that he had Addison's disease and wasn't expected to live a long, healthy life, and that if he were not on the ticket, that he would uh, bottle up any legislative proposals sent down from the White House that would be dead on arrival. 
Jack and Bobby tried to figure a way out of this, but were unable to do so. Lyndon was using information provided to him by J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI, uh, and they ultimately were forced to rescind Jack's invitation to Stuart Symington to run with him as his running mate, the only time in his career he had to reverse a decision of this kind. Uh, when a, a, a supporter of Lyndon Johnson, wealthy, burst into the Johnson suite, angry because Lyndon was running with JFK, Bobby Baker took him into a bedroom and explained to him what they had in mind. And he came out all smiles and said he thought that was an excellent plan. Bobby Baker would later state that JFK would not survive his term and that he would die a violent death. And in the course of events, in fact, Lyndon was not only instrumental for setting up the visit of JFK to Texas, purportedly to mend fences between the liberal and the conservative wings of the Democratic Party, but even sent his chief administrative assistant, Cliff Carter, down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place. So, you know, I think there are aspects of each of these that might suggest that there can't be any way in which uh, cultural Marxism per se consciously affected actions like this. But I think there are others where you have clearly provided a, a, an alternative way of approaching recent historical events, including false flags, and thereby provided the opportunity to shed more illumination on these events. And for that, therefore, I want to thank you very much for this quite striking, very original, and potentially illuminating presentation. Thank you very much, Jim.